0: But part of a true sign of a healthy speak-up culture and psychological safety is our ability to disagree well, our ability to potentially be offended, but have a productive conversation around it.
1: You're listening to the Wholehearted Podcast, and I'm your host, Cohen Tan. I'm on a mission to set hearts free and inspire people to break out of their self-limitations to create the life of their dreams. Each episode, I speak to people around the world who live with vigor courage and authenticity. And I hope their stories can inspire you. So sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Welcome listeners to the Wholehearted Leadership Podcast. And I'm really excited to have with me Stephen Shetleski, a speaker, a leadership coach and the author of the brand new book, Speak Up Culture, when leaders truly listen and people step up. Personally, when I read the title of this book, I have a bout of professional envy because I personally wished I wrote that book myself. Hello Steven.
0: Hello, it's good to be with you, Cohen. Good to see you.
1: Good to thank see you. Thank you for and those I mean... very kind words. Oh, definitely, definitely. I I, I meant it wholeheartedly. <laughs> I see you've been busy flying around for your book launch and I see I've been seeing your updates. Like tell me what's 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 exciting in your life now.
0: Um, What's exciting? I mean, uh, it has been very fun and surreal and meaningful and rewarding to launch this book and share the message and to see how it's being received. Um, And also, I mean, just the state of the world. Um, You know, we launched this book October 3rd. And four days later, the attack of, uh, you know, the, the, the conflict in the Middle East and the conflict in Israel and Gaza heightened. I think there's actually a relevant conversation because I wrote a book that is a philosophy book disguised as a business book. Uh, and so I think that there's so much that I've written about that I just want humanity to adopt, um, of course, within business, but beyond. So it's been very interesting launching this book and then seeing uh, the the state of world affairs as I've launched it.
1: Wow, wow. I really like what you just said. In fact, I believe that um, businesses are one of the biggest forces for good because, you know... Businesses power our economy and uh, people go to work in businesses and they spend a large percentage of their waking hours at work. So I think um, when leaders create a speak up culture, uh, it, it goes to the heart of what it really means for people to come fully alive at work. I think businesses definitely have a big part to play. So um, we normally start our podcast with asking our guests some common questions. And um, I'll just ask right away, what does being a wholehearted leader mean to you?
0: Um, being a wholehearted leader to me means bringing your full self, your whole self to work. It's showing up to work with empathy and compassion. Um, and it's being willing to see the humanity and the wholeheartedness of somebody else. Um, I think, you know, very few people show up in the morning or wake up in the morning or, you know, right before they go into work, whether it's during the day or at night, I think very few of us go like, I'm going to make other people's life miserable today. I don't think many people do that. Um, And I think wholeheartedness and showing up wholehearted means that we show up bringing our whole self um, with the permission and space for another to bring their whole self as well.
1: That's so beautifully articulated, I think this exchange of um permission and uh, safety um to be to be able to see each other with um unconditional positive regard. I think that's just mm. so 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 beautiful um well, that being said um since you have articulated this in in light of what's happening in the world today, um what do you think are some of the obstacles leaders face in uh, showing up wholeheartedly
0: um I think a few things. Uh, one, close-mindedness. <laughs> I think that in in order to to show up wholeheartedly, uh, and to enable others to show up wholeheartedly, having an open mind and having curiosity is helpful. Um, you know, and and the the gateway to curiosity um, is listening and asking good questions, good open-ended questions. So. Yeah, I would say closed-mindedness, ego, um, arrogance, and lack of listening uh, would get in the way. Uh, And then ergo, the very opposite of open-mindedness, curiosity, good listening, empathy, compassion makes it easier for us to show up wholehearted um, in our communities.
1: Why are leaders having a hard time being open-minded and curious and empathetic?
0: It's hard work. It's very hard work. And to have the humility and vulnerability that you may not know everything, or that your identity might be challenged. um, You know, it takes a ton of strength to be vulnerable and humble, and open minded and curious to, you know, as you rise up the ranks within society or within an organization, you're rewarded on what you know, and how you perform. And there's a shift that happens that when you become a leader, you're no longer responsible for all the results. You're responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. And that's a distinction that my um, uh, mentor and and former boss Simon Sinek uh, taught me, um, that leaders are responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. And so there's a shift that happens where um, leaders in order to be effective at a senior level actually have to let go And they have to empower, and they have to trust more, if they wish to be effective. Um, And we don't adequately prepare leaders to know that that's the mindset and the actions of what it means to be a good leader. Um, uh, And then we don't select folks (laughs) who have that as a propensity within them. It's like you rise to a certain degree of leadership, and then it's like, good luck. And by the way, this job is totally different than anything else you've had before. We're just not going to teach you. We're going to let you struggle and, fl- and flail um, and and be less effective for the people you're leading. So I, I think we actually need to to define what good leadership really looks like in behavior, select leaders against that definition, and then help leaders lead.
1: I saw one of your speech in which you talked about how you were a stutterer and you were silenced. I wasn't a stutterer, but I was silenced at childhood. There was a lot of conflicts at home. There was violence at home. I needed to minimize myself. I was raised uh, by a very traditional Asian parents. If you get a concept of what that means, yeah. it, that children should be seen and not heard. And so I totally resonate with you. And um, speaking up has really been the journey of my life. To cut a long story short, I went through school, being bullied in school, feeling like very othered. Uh, I don't, I don't belong. I don't fit in. But I found my voice in college when I mm. took French. Stepped into French class, voila! It's like I found my voice. I had so much fun with it. Uh, got an award for my French language competency. I found my voice. The Mm. second time I found my voice in Toastmasters and the third time I truly really owned my voice was through improv theater. So Mm. today I'm a speech coach, um, professional speaker. I'm on my way to getting my certified speaking professional. So this is where I stand.
0: Well, so our stories are very similar, except I lost my voice in French class. (laughs) So, I mean, one, thank you for, for sharing all that and the vulnerability to do so. I appreciate it. And, you know, it's my belief, Cohen, that so often our, our purpose and what fulfills us lives on the other side of what we've struggled with, and have overcome or are overcoming. Um, And then to use that to help others um is a is a well-lived and well-served life. So I did grow up with a speech impediment. I grew up with a stutter. I still have a stutter. I've learned how to work with it. I married a speech therapist. Good choice. Uh not just for me but for my kids. <laughs> um I first realized I had a stutter in grade 2 and that it was a problem. We tried a couple therapies. The speech therapist at the time gave me a clicker with, with the intention to count my stutters, which was an idea, but it's backwards. Like I was counting the negative behavior. And what kid in grade two, I was what? I was my daughter's age now, I was seven, eight. What seven or eight year old wants to walk around with a clicker like they're a bouncer at a at a club, right? That lasted for not even a morning. I did it once, a friend said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, I put it away um, and I never touched that thing ever again. 4 years later in French class because I'm Canadian so French is is mandatory up until grade I think 10 maybe it's changed we were given a handout in class and we were sneaking through the class everyone was taking a, a, a turn to read a paragraph in French in front of the entire class uh, public speaking was already a fear for me at the time let alone in a language that wasn't my mother tongue as it was getting closer to me I remember looking at the the words trying to predict which paragraph i would be reading and scroll through the words to see which words i might have trouble with i was very flustered i was very nervous my heart was was beating i could feel my face sort of um you know red as a tomato i could hear my voice in my ears as i'm speaking and about three or four lines in i get to the word tre Très bien, which as you know, mm-hmm. that's like the third fricking word you learn in French. And yes. that, that harsh sound, the T in the I I couldn't get out. And it was like a finger trap. The more I tried to push the the word out, the harder it was to get out. Um, and after what felt like a very long period of silence, where I was trying to force this word out of my mouth, um, my, my teacher, I write about her in the, in the book, I called her by a different name. Um, uh, she said, you know, Stephen, quel, quel le, le you know, what's what's the problem? And I tried to force out the word once more, couldn't do it, and I gave up. And I said, I can't pronounce the word. And she said, you can't pronounce tre? And I went, no, I can't. And she said, next, à suivant, next, um, and went to the next reader. And I went up to her at the end of the class, and I apologized, and I said that I had a stutter, and she didn't believe me, and she made me feel wrong and belittled me oh, and gosh. thought that I was just pranking her or something. Oh, um, and it was at that moment, I mean, you know, I'm a big believer in honor our antagonists. Like honor, when when life throws you a challenge, whether that be internal or external, that is a moment to use it to 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 rise above as an eagle would. The eagle is the only bird that when there's a storm, it actually uses the momentum and power of the storm to fly above and over it. All other birds either hide in place or try to fly away. The eagle is the only one that actually surmounts and overcomes it. I didn't know that at the time. I learned that later from a mentor of mine. But I went home that day and I said to my mom, we need to get help. Um, I said, this is going to get in the way. I I just knew at that time I was 12. I just knew I needed to get my grips on this. Otherwise, it would get its grips on me. And I got help that summer. I went to an amazing... Uh, speech therapy institute that still exists today in Toronto called the Speech and Stuttering Institute um, uh, founded by the late Dr. Robert Kroll who's a brilliant brilliant um, uh, man and person and then yeah and and that was sort of the beginning of me getting tools finding community building confidence helping others.
1: You're inspirational man it's like um, your book Speak Up Culture is really about you start going from stuttering to speaking up. But it's not about speaking up because it's me, hear me out. But it's more like creating the conditions for people to reclaim their voices again. I think that's so inspiring.
0: You know, for me, speaking up became worth it when I started to share things that would help others. You know, the 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 very first time I became hooked on public speaking or I felt passion for it, was in a presentation skills class at at university where my professor dr dennis shackle um said he he shared martin luther king's i have a dream speech and he said next class your assignment is to show up with a five minute presentation um and delivering it if you can with as much passion as dr king which is no small order um and i i'm from canada so there were people other Canadians who spoke about their favorite hockey team or their love of curling. Someone spoke about their love of mint chocolate chip ice cream. I knew that I had to speak about overcoming my fear of public speaking and and overcoming my stutter. And it was the first time in my life that I spoke up and gave, you know, a short speech, but I, I wasn't doing it for me. I I was doing it to help others. I was doing it knowing that there's this universal fear of public speaking, and I wanted to help others, whether English wasn't their first language, whether they had a speech impediment like me, or whether they just had a pulse because they're human. And it's a universal fear of getting up in front of people and sharing and revealing oneself in a wholehearted way. Um, so it was that moment that I'm like, huh, this is, this is something. Because um, I wasn't doing it for me, I was trying to do it for others.
1: Would you say that your teacher in college level was your first speak up mentor?
0: Yeah, I don't think he was my first, um, but he was definitely, uh, uh, Dr. Shackle, who I'm still in touch with, uh, today. He definitely was a huge one. He, in a really both intense and prolonged period, cause I studied with him for, for months. Um, and have maintained a relationship with him for for many years, he has he's created a condition where I and others around me could thrive and could feel fulfilled. Um, I think the my very first model of, of being a speak up leader was my grandfather. Uh, so my grandfather is a Holocaust survivor. Um, he fought in 1939, with the Polish military, with the invading Nazi Germans, um, spent two years in a prisoner of war camp just out of, outside of Berlin. Escaped, walked home for nearly two months at night only. Um, married his childhood, his childhood sweetheart, my grandmother Eva, and then he he was an entrepreneur. Um, he his last day of formal education was grade five when he punched back an anti-Semitic teacher. Um, And that was his last day of formal education. And he joined the family business, which was being a... And so he ended up forming relationships with all these farmers. And so in 1941, when he came back to a small town in Poland, the Germans began sending out those Jews into different working camp ghettos and concentration camps. Um, And he said, no thanks. He, had, he formed an intimate relationship with what it means to be a Nazi SS guard because he saw them when he was a prisoner of war. Uh, and he went, I'm not going there. And so he said goodbye to his parents, his younger sister, Kyla, um, his, his in-laws, and they went into hiding. And he helped a group of seven, which then became a group of five plus him, um, survive over the next four years. And so... And he ended up surviving that war. And he, unlike others who were Holocaust survivors, his story was one of heroism. You know, he was the he was the author of his own destiny. Whereas many folks who survived were through the working camps and the and the ghettos and the concentration camps. He avoided those for the most part. Um, and so he was always very willing to talk about his story to anyone who would listen. And so, um, and not only was he a good communicator and passionate communicator, he was a great listener and he asked good questions. So I think he was probably one of the first and growing up with his gregariousness and and passion, I think showed to me, um, not the only version, but a version of what it means to lead, what it means to be a speak up leader. This book I've written is is about how, how can leaders create an environment in which they make it more safe and worth it, right? Not create fearlessness that doesn't exist, but create less fear so that people feel that it is worth it to share their ideas, their feedback, their concerns, their disagreement, even admit mistake all for the benefit of the team and the firm. It takes risk to speak up and great leaders create the environment where it's encouraged and rewarded. It is not about personal glory. That wouldn't be service orientation. That's self-interested. It's about what's in the best interest of of the team. There have been experiences, Cohen, where I've spoken up on on a team that it wasn't safe and it wasn't worth it. And I didn't really know until I tried. I spoke up and challenged some of the leaders trying to create a better future from my own perspective but it didn't go well. The leaders of of that team made it an us versus them. It made it a personal attack. And I'm like, that's not my intention. I'm trying to help us live what we preach. Do do we want to do that? If not, or if you want to do it your way and not embrace that I might have something of value or truth to share here, all good. This just isn't the place for me anymore, right?
1: Did you feel that you were being chewed up or did you feel that uh, you were being, you know, unsafe? Did it affect you in a very, very negative way when you spoke up, you took a personal risk and it was thrown back in your face? And how did you maintain that resilience to speak Mm. up the next time?
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. So the answer is yes. I felt unsafe. I felt chewed up. I felt attacked. I felt as if I was an old gazelle that had been pushed out to the outer rim because I was no longer valued or safe and I was easy pickings for a lion. That's how it felt. And I never spoke up again in that culture ever again, not meaningfully, because it wasn't safe and it wasn't worth it. To do so and this is sort of the the thesis of of the book that i've written and the matrix that we created is it safe is it worth it so in the top right quadrant it's safe it's worth it fantastic you're likely to have a speak-up culture now it's perception you and i could both report into the same leader i could say they're the best leader i've ever had in my life and you could say do we work for the same person they're awful and we're both right right so it is based on perception and not every leader is for every person we're human We don't want the bottom left quadrant, which is it's not safe, it's not worth it. That's an unhappy marriage of fear and apathy. And I've been there. Um, You can have safety, but feel that it's not worth it. Whether due to a change in habit, that's too much bureaucracy or systemic issues. Like I could say to a friend, you should probably stop having four alcoholic beverages every night. The current research says 3 drinks a week, no no more four drinks a night probably not not great for you, oh, right? long term. Um and it I might feel safe to to do so but if it's not going to change any habit, eh, apathy is going to set in. Why do I keep having this this intervention? Um but what's really interesting as well is it may not feel safe, but if it feels worth it, you're connected to the stakes and this could be Ed Pearson at, at Boeing, when he spoke up saying the 737 MAX is not a safe plane, right? It wasn't safe to 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 speak up, but he felt it was worth it because he was connected to the stakes that it was worth it. Now, what's really interesting is, uh, you know, I opened the book with the case study of the, of the Boeing 737 MAX um, yes. and, that, and that devastation with Lion Air and Ethiopian Air. But the point that I make is that a speak-up culture isn't important only for lines of work in which the cost is life and death. Military, law enforcement, aerospace, building submarines, the Titan submersible, which we saw recently, where the director of safety was fired for bringing up issues uh, two years prior to the accident. We know from Gallup, from UKG, and the National Institute of Health in the U.S., that our relationship with our boss has more of an impact on our health and well-being health. than that of our relationship with our family doctor or our therapist, if we have one. And it, and the impact of the relationship with our boss on our health and well-being is at par with the relationship of our life partner, if we have one as well. If you are in a role of leadership or if you have a leader, the stakes of that relationship are extremely high. And the role of leadership, whether you're in a life and death industry or not, The role of leadership has a life feeding or a life depleting impact on on people. And so if you have toxic cultures and unhealthy leaders, it is life and death because you will have increased uh, incidence of cancer, of heart disease, of long-term health impacts, stress leave, all the things. So yes, I felt attacked. Yes, I felt unsafe. Yes, I felt chewed up. It did not feel safe and worth it to speak up. And so I stopped doing it and i found and nurtured the relationships around me where it was safe and worth it to speak up and i got out of that that team and that organization as quickly as i could i'll i'll just say i i'm never in a position to ever tell anyone out there you should leave your 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 job that's not a good piece of advice to oh, give because yeah. you don't know what someone's situation is right yes. um but i but i i think we can say in having conversations with friends or clients or ho- whoever it might be, and if it's a coaching conversation, if it becomes clear that someone is unhealthy or I- I- is suffering because of a culture that they're in, we're allowed to, to to support them to find a better place to work and live, whether that's in the same or- organization and community or somewhere else. Um, but I don't think we should ever give anyone the advice of, you should leave your 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 job. I think it's you know, maybe there are other places that we, that we can help you find a better place to work and live.
1: It may not be that you should leave your job, but I think the the, the most important thing you can do for yourself is to restore your sense of agency by speaking out of about your boundaries, right? Your, sure. your boundaries, your needs, especially if you felt, you felt violated. I think where speaking out really is necessary is when there's a violation or breach of boundaries, Um, I think uh, what happens in a corporate world is that we tend to keep mum, right? I think, was it um, Tasha Urich who wrote about what's called a mum effect, right? So people tend to keep mum about things maybe because of this apathy. I think it's either systemic apathy or I call it habitual apathy. I personally have seen many people in Asia who um, are in jobs where they felt um, unsafe to speak up. But I think what is even more Poignant for me is the sense of apathy is that what is doesn't even matter it's not mm. worth it anyway it's not going to it's not going to shift the needle it's not going to to change a thing so what happens is that this collective systemic and habitual apathy uh actually can become very contagious right it's almost like you 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 have a certain apathy about certain things that you you, you just switch off you know even if you move to a new job or a new function or a new role but I mean, you're you are not you know, wired to speak up because it, it just became habitual, right? It's like you're yeah. in this like safe little cocoon of not speaking up. And uh, then we, we we tend to take less personal risks in speaking yeah. up. It's like a muscle, right, that you don't fire. If you go to if you don't go to the gym, you don't work out that muscle, uh, you're not gonna get good at it. And even if you decide one day, and here's the, where things get really insidious and dangerous. Is yeah. that we sweep a lot of things under the carpet, we suppress and suppress and suppress them until one day we eventually speak up, but we erupt, yeah. we yeah. we flood, we 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 leak out, and mm-hmm. and it usually it's very inelegant because, like I said, you have never been practicing those muscles, you haven't been firing those muscles, you haven't been working on your golf swing, you haven't been working on your tennis surf, and all of a sudden you're just so rusty and you're just in a very very inelegant manner, and then it just serves nobody at all. And now you you suddenly become cast as that troublemaker, mm-hmm. and that that and that, that, that a vicious cycle just propagates itself. I think this is a very very um, important and on point thing that we need to talk about.
0: Yeah, I think it's both. It's either or or both apathy as well as fear. So I think at ap- apathy, when you have a misogynist boss you go oh that's just the way they are which is passive and complicit and there also could be fear i don't want to speak up or speak out because i i might or i believe i will get get in trouble and this is why it's important to have uh, hotlines and whistleblower avenues that <laughs> absent of an organizational culture and its leaders keeping itself honest to have some sort of objective third party to help can help us avoid catastrophes and disasters and scandals. Um, I mean, we just saw one coming out of the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, and I have a friend, Dr. Kimberly Young-McClear, who was a openly gay, uh, married uh, Black woman with a PhD inside of the U.S. Coast Guard. And she was subject of a ton of physical and sexual harassment over the years, and finally um, spoke out, which meant so many other people who were also subject to the same behavior flooded toward her because she was a safe person, which which made her more of a target. So um, it could be apathy or it could be fear, and it takes courage to speak up and to even whistleblow as well.
1: Wow! Wow! And what I really like about your book is that it's actually a leadership book, right? It's uh, what you're saying is that leaders, um, the whispers can be actually very loud. Uh, yeah. And I really like that. I really like that quote. I think there's something, I I think I butchered that particular quote. <laughs> uh, I,
0: yeah, the, the the quote is, uh, as a leader, a whisper is a shout and your tiptoes are stomps.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. There, there you go. There you go. So that, that, that particular quote, right, that really, really um, landed very well on me.
0: The comment I'll make there, because it, it is a leadership book that, I, that I've that i written, yes. and it's, it's, it's both capital L and lowercase L leader. What I mean by that is there are leaders who are capital L leaders. They have the title and the authority, and they're expected to behave as a leader. Just because you have the title doesn't mean you're a leader, because being a leader means you lead. There are a certain set of behaviors around being authentic, being service-oriented, having empathy and compassion, being decisive, and yet accountable, owning. When things go, go well, you give credit to others. When things don't go well, you take responsibility. That's what it means to behave as a leader. Um, my, my friend, Rich DeVinney, who's a retired U.S. USCL and wrote the book, The Attributes, brilliant book. Um, he has probably the best quote I've ever heard on leadership, which is, leaders aren't born, leaders aren't even made, leaders are chosen based upon the way that they behave. There are some of us who are born with some of the innate abilities and, and human characteristics that are more likely to make us a better leader. But just because we're born with it doesn't mean that we're automatically a leader. We have to work at it and and, and 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 develop it. Just because we develop our skills as a leader doesn't mean we're off the hook. You need to behave into it every single day. And as a leader, no one arrives. You are always arriving. And so with Liz Liz's work with, with multipliers versus being a minimizer or a diminisher, You know, there's no mistake that in every single leadership development program, Cohen, that I have been a part of, facilitated in, or been a participant in, every single one starts with a module on self, leading self. Building self-awareness of what your own tool or instruments are, your own strengths, your weaknesses or, 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 or limitations, knowing what, what to amplify, where to delegate or, or team, right? And we all have that. As, as, as individuals, we're okay. As, as a team, as a collective, we're remarkable, right? Strengths in our diversity. And so the insecure leader is a very dangerous leader. An insecure leader is more likely to micromanage and diminish and minimize. A secure leader who knows their strengths, knows their limitations and weaknesses, can learn how to play their instrument well, can learn how to harmonize with, with others, and can help others find their own instrument and play it well in harmony as well.
1: Um, I, I personally also have this idea that I think a lot of us learned leadership from our, our childhood our first leaders, our parents. I'm not going to go into this whole, you know, um, childhood therapy and all that stuff, but I just really happen to think that we learn leadership from our parents. Things like boundary setting, things like what's right to do, what's not right to do. Um, things like um, how to how to build relationships with people, um, power dynamics, um, negotiation skills, right? Children would negotiate with their parents for an additional hour before they go to bed, for example. Right, so we learn a lot of these leadership skills in our childhood. I think it's very important for leaders to to have that, as you mentioned, self awareness in your book. Right, we um, all starts with knowing yourself, knowing thyself. Do you do you think that there's value for leaders to really go back into some of the early experiences of leadership and think, hmm, how am I being shaped by that?
0: I absolutely. Um, I think it is important to go back to childhood and what was nurturing and what was even traumatic and how did it help form who we are, what we value, how we behave, what triggers us, what makes us thrive, what makes us go into survival, all those things, Um, as well as to look at who have been meaningful mentors and role models along the way from childhood through adolescence, through, you know, that young, those young adulthood years as well. Um, But absolutely, you know, we we all walk around with this um, emotional backpack on. whether for whether we're aware of it or not and i think those of us who are challenged and who grow it behooves us to zip you know zip open that backpack and take a look at what's in there for better or for worse what builds us up and also what can get in the way i mean i i reflect on my childhood and my parents and what they modeled positively and i'm still fortunately close with my parents um today they live you know eight minutes away from me and we see them every week um and yeah, I, I think it's I think that's brilliant uh, to to go back and you know I'm I'm also a big believer, Cohen, that life is never up and to the right, <laughs> meaning we we aren't born and it's just an exponential wonderful experience. It's ebbs and flows, and we learn from both those peaks and those valleys. And if anything, we probably learn more and are defined more by those valleys, those experiences in life that weren't necessarily pleasant we wouldn't want to revisit it but if we're honest we are who we are because of them i know we've previously discussed around my my stutter and my speech impediment um you know and that's gotten in the way in the past but it's also created great opportunity and avenue for me to become resilient and to grow um and so i'm a big believer that our oftentimes our passions and our strengths are born from what have we overcome in our past and then how can we help others overcome it as well? So as a kid, I felt voiceless. And now, ironically, I speak for a living and I help others um, find their voice and create the conditions to help them nurture others finding their voice as well and using their voice. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer that our past shapes us um, and it can be for better or for worse. But, I, but hopefully for most of us, it's for, for better.
1: As you face the challenges of living up to your own and others' expectations, you may sometimes feel lost and lonely. However, know that you're not alone. We're all here to support you in leaning courageously into your heart's promptings. If you'd like more tips, resources, and to learn more about how you can live more wholeheartedly, or to book me as a speaker, trainer, or coach, please go to coventan.com. That's C-O-E-N-T-A-N dot com. So Stephen, as speakers, we are often at the front end of things. And I'm sure you can relate to this challenge that I'm about to share with you. There's just so much uncertainty and tension around what is it that we can say and cannot say, especially in today's world of the work culture And diversity, equity, and inclusion. Have there been times when what you say has been taken out of context and may have offended someone else? And how do you deal with this?
0: Sure. Are there some folks out there who are off the rails, narcissistic, you know, personality disorder, dangerous, toxic, harmful? Yes. Are they few and far, far, far between? I think so as well. Um, you know, that's not the majority of the of the of the population. One of the things that I like to mystify is that a, a speak up culture and having psychological safety it doesn't mean that everyone's nice to each other all the time, which is which can be passive, and that um, we don't debate or disagree or even offend e- each other from 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 time to time. But there's a difference between it um intent and impact there have been moments where i've offended people it wasn't my intention but inside of a healthy speak up culture we can actually dissect and lean in and learn about our biases learn about our ignorance learn about where we need to learn more um and take on that education actively um but part of a true sign of a healthy speak up culture and psychological safety is our ability to disagree well our ability to potentially be offended but have a productive conversation around it but the the opportunity is to learn about it uh, educate and and own it own our 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 mistake even if it wasn't our intention especially if it wasn't our our intention to say, hey, I actually learned a, a, a lesson. I use this word. I describe something in this way and it was actually inappropriate. And it was inappropriate for this reason and I'm learning about it, right? Or maybe you you, you don't agree and that's not the audience for you. I think we need to get more curious, more patient. Um, you know, there, there's one example and I, I read about it in the book where I, I joined a very diverse team for a virtual session um, uh, toward the beginning, you know, six months into the, into the pandemic, it's a non-for-profit, or I like to call it for impact organization that I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I, I'd done a lot of work with over a decade and I was good friends with the executive, di- the, who was the executive director at, at the time. He asked me if I would come in and join the team and just share some insights to help them team better and make through this hard time better. And I, uh, one of the pe- people on the call, it was uh, it was the most. It was the second most senior person in the company, um, who was on the call. Uh, she was female, white. She asked a question around community and struggling, and I said to, and I said to her that we can it, when we're part of a of a team, a trusting team, that we can suffer alone or we can struggle together. I said, when we're part of a trusting team, if we're struggling, we should be allowed to raise our hand, say that we're struggling. If you're suffering a- alone, no one can come and help you. To which she was she agreed. But there were other folks on the call who were part of marginalized communities and in, in, in populations and didn't agree with my comment. They were actually offended by it. wasn't my intention. But I could see, because I had zoom faces on, I could see that what I said had um upset even infuriated at least about three people, two or three people on the on the call. Now I had a choice. I could ignore it and press on, or I could say, which is what I did, I said, I think I've just offended a few of you and it wasn't my intention. I'm seeing some re- reactions here. Is anyone willing to share what I said that rubbed you the wrong way or upset you? and someone who spoke up she actually was asian and said um, what about folks in marginalized and oppressed populations and communities we're not allowed to show weakness we're not allowed to to speak up and i said thank you wasn't my intention i totally understand where you're where you're coming from and and i'm not going to say that again cuz it's not right um and anytime I I do say it, I say, when we're part of a trusting team, when we feel that we are safe, and when we feel that we have status and safety, and right? Um, uh, but if you're part of an organization in which you're part of a team where you don't feel that that's the case, you can't admit weakness and suffering. Um, that might be some someone's own sort of emotional baggage, or it might be very real. So... Um, you know that's one instance, and I'm sure there are many other instances where I've said things that offended people or rubbed them the wrong way. That was one instance where I had an opportunity to actually dig in, lean in, own it, um, and attempt to clean it up and grow and and become better. And I I think wow. we need more of that. We need more. We need more safe, healthy discourse where we can debate, disagree. Uh, a, a friend of mine, Juliana. Tafur, who's a documentary filmmaker, she uh, created this film called Listen Courageously, where she got in the US six people, uh, three sets of two, who were all on opposing diametric sides of hot button topics in the US. Abortion, gun control, and immigration rights. People who are on the complete opposite spectrum. She asked them if they would come and be part of this documentary and part of a facilitated discussion and activities to see if they could find some consensus and some alignment or some understanding of each other. All of them agreed for the sole purpose of being able to highlight how their point of view was the right point of view. (laughs) And two out of the three pairs ended in tears, hugging and friendships, The the pair on gun control and the pair on abortion rights. In the end, and they used art to express their points of views. And it was really beautiful. And um, at the end, the, 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 the two sets in gun control and abortion rights ended in tears and hugs, saying, I'm not changing my opinions or point of views, but I understand why they made the decisions that they made. And I leave here with a friend. Wow. Like that's what we need. You know, any time there is any hate, anti-Semitism, anti-Asian, racism, uh, gender inequality, any time there's hate of other, I would say nearly 100% of the time, there's no meaningful relationship with other. But as soon as you take a risk or you're in a scenario where you form some relationship, With the very identity of folks that you claim to hate, I almost guarantee that at least um, a a portion of that population will go, wow, I hated Muslim women, but now I formed a meaningful relationship and I actually... I question my own views. This is what happened in Dia Khan's brilliant doc- documentary um, called "White Right Meeting Meeting the the Enemy." She was a Muslim woman who was attacked and and bullied um, online and and in person, and so she went to her uh, oppressors and met them, and she literally turned two senior white nationalists left the the party because they said, "I formed." a friendship with you that was more meaningful than some of the friendships I have with people that I claim to call brothers and sisters. My identity has been shook. I have to leave that. I mean, those two movies, those two, two, two documentaries are nothing short of inspiring. And it's the type of healthy discourse that we need to make progress on a, on a society and humanity level. How strong, beautiful resilient is the human being who can go i don't agree with you i want to learn more you know i want to find how you might be right um and this i mean i think this is adam grant's book think think again uh, that's that, yes, that's what he put right and yes. and I, I mean my my favorite quote from that book is you don't have to agree with everything that i say i don't agree with everything that i say which is brilliant <laughs> you know how, yes. how often do we go back on a talk or some or article or something, email, something that we wrote five years ago. And you're like, what was I thinking? Because we <laughs> learn and evolve and we grow. That's part of what it means to be human. And so I think we need to be a lot more forgiving, understanding, patient, respectful, curious um, with the people around us.
1: One of the things I think about is over the last 30 to 40 years, uh, if you think about the evolution of the leadership books that uh, has been written, um, think back to the time of classics like How to Win Friends and Influence People. A lot of uh, leadership books in the past were written around the idea of um, the powerful leader, the charismatic leader. Um, how to develop you know, that that the charisma, that persuasiveness, and um, what has changed in your opinion?
0: Well, I mean, I think that that's wrong <laughs> because my study of, of leadership and of great leaders and how they behave, charisma and warmth aren't requisites of leadership. Caring for people is, having humility is, having courage is, but I think it is false to believe. I, I think it's it's like an extroverted myth. Um, we don't need charisma and we don't need warmth. Um, Some of the best leaders I've had have been consistently cold and grumpy, but I never doubted for a moment that they had my back and they cared for me. I I lean into my dear friend, Rich Tavini, who wrote the book, The Attributes, Um, and it's a brilliant book on how do high-performing and high-trusting teams sustainably perform. And he has a great chapter on um, leadership attributes, and he highlights... Um, uh, empathy and compassion, um, authenticity, which is being who you are and consistently being who you are, service orientation, decisiveness, accountability—you know these are the attributes and the behaviors of leadership. Warmth and charisma. If you happen to be naturally warm and charismatic, great. But if you're not, like, don't be something that you're not. Um, we like to follow and serve and work for authentic leaders. Which means, again, you can be cold and grumpy consistently, but you have to care for people and you have to show up and display courage.
1: Well said, well said. Uh, I think I also referenced the work of Liz Weisman around uh, the idea of leaders as multipliers or leaders as diminishers, right? And uh, some mm. of these um, attributes of leaders, whether it is the always-on, the, the the all-encompassing, all-conquering leader, or the all-charismatic Charming leader actually referenced in her book as diminishes, because if the leader shows up as being so charismatic and so strong, then people just shut down around them. Yeah, it's all ego driven, yeah. right? It's like I see you pointing at your own chest, right? So it's like kind of ego driven, and people just shut down oh, and damn. follow.
0: I mean, it's it's I think, oh, no that you know, if you are naturally charismatic or or, or warm. I think there's a distinction. Warmth isn't always loud. Charisma is typically pretty loud. I don't think there's anything wrong about being charismatic so long as, you know, the true test of one's leadership is how many more leaders you can help develop and grow in their own right. And not to multiply, it's not, it's not mitosis. <laughs> oh. it, is, it is helping people figure out who are they and how can they become the best themselves I think that's what Liz is pointing to I think I call it being a being a leader breeder
1: Hmm, I like it I like it a leader breeder I like the sounds of that All right so we're coming to the end of the podcast we typically end every episode with a series of quick fire questions so are you ready Steven
0: I'm as ready as I'll ever be
1: All right so let's go question number one what's the most powerful question you've ever been asked
0: before um, I don't know if this is the most, but this is the first one that comes to mind. How are you really doing?
1: Love it, love it, love it. Second question. Who is a mentor or supporter of yours who has made the biggest difference in your life?
0: I have a few. Um, my grandfather, who we discussed, um, my uh, professor, Dennis Shackle, um, and as well, Simon Sinek has made a really huge impact as I worked with, with him for, for many years.
1: Wow, what a privilege, what a privilege. The third and final question what is one of the most courageous things you've done in your life that has made all the difference?
0: Uh, being bold enough to figure out my dreams and vision and then pursue it. When was that? Uh, a, a, a couple times, one very early on in my career when I was m- miserable um, and I went on the path to work toward the work I wanted to do around engagement and fulfillment. And then as well, more recently, deciding to write a book, deciding to launch my own company uh, has been, I would say, an act of courage, but also very rewarding and fulfilling.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for your sharing. You've given us so much wisdom that our listeners can really take uh, home.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, I'm such a delight and joy and so neat that we come from such different parts of the world and backgrounds, but care so deeply about, about the same things, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, and, and leaders, lead, leadership is contextual. It's based on what's needed. You know, sometimes that's leading in the front and speaking up and providing vision. Sometimes it's leading from, from the side and being a good teammate. And sometimes it's leading from the back and, and lifting others up because it's their, it's their time. Um, And, it, and, and we need them and their strength set. So Such a joy to join you, Cohen, and look forward to doing so again.
1: And I'd just like to ask, right, where can our listeners find out more about you and your book?
0: Listeners can go to speakupculture.com for more information on the book. uh, And for more information about me and my work as well, you can go to shedinspires.com.
1: And can they also follow you on socials?
0: They definitely can. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only Steven Shetlatsky in the world, so I'm easy to find. And then on all the others, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, I'm at Shed Inspires.
1: Wow, you're very prolific on all social uh, platforms. I really enjoy um, being with you, um, Steven. So thank you once again for this uh, very enlightening conversation and with so much levity and fun, uh, wisdom as well. And... um, I look forward to catching up with you again soon, and uh, who knows, maybe someday I uh, we'll meet up somewhere in the world, and we may even get a chance to do work together.
0: Love that, love that. Always enjoy speaking with you, Cohen. I, you're you're a you're a walking encyclopedia of leadership books. I I love how you just uh, are so um, learned, and I always learn from you. So a joy to connect with you again, and hopefully again soon, and hopefully in person.
1: Yep, let's do that. Take care. Wow, what a delightful conversation with Steven Shetlesky! Stephen speaks extremely eloquently about a topic that I'm passionate about, speaking up culture. Also, I really like that Steven has a level of lightheartedness, levity in the way he shares his ideas and his stories. I almost don't detect much of an ego about him. And that's why I really enjoy hanging out with Stephen. It's just like, hanging out in our living rooms, having a conversation over a glass of wine. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the wisdom that Stephen has shared and that you have some ideas about how you can work on your own leadership so that you can show up and bring the best out of the people that you lead. Once again, this is Cohen Tan from the Wholehearted Leadership Podcast. Till we see each other again, Stay wholehearted. Thanks for being part of this heartwarming conversation today. If you have enjoyed the show as much as I have creating it for you, I really appreciate it if you can leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you won't miss a future episode. To the next episode, stay wholehearted.